This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorns, startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Welcome to Breaking Banks Europe, the number one global fintech radio network. This is episode 197, focusing on microfinancing. I'm Elizabeth Kleinfeld, today with Beryl Spoor van Andel from Oiko Credit. Hey, Beryl, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, Elizabeth. Firstly, thank you for hosting me on this. Really exciting. My name is Beryl van Andel. I work at Oiko Credit International as Innovation Specialist. I've worked in this um, financial inclusion space for the past eight years in several capacities uh, as a founder of two startups and also from a consulting firm working on micro pensions and long-term saving solutions uh, for low-income people. And before that, I headed a family venture capital firm uh, and worked as strategic consultant with Deloitte uh, uh, and also in real estate um, area as I was trained as an architect. Wow. Lots of relevant experience in all of this area. And can you just say a little bit about what Oiko Credit does? I know I'm going to ask you a little bit more later, but um, just so people have the context. Oiko Credit is an impact investor. Uh, we're a worldwide cooperative that promotes sustainable development by providing loans, investment, and some capacity building. Um, and Oiko Credit's work is guided by the principle of empowering people uh, and improve their livelihoods. Perfect. Thank you so much for that. So um, before we get started, really, I want to have an understanding of what do we mean when we talk about microfinance, because I think there are a lot of different definitions that people can have. What's your definition? For me, microfinance today means a very broad scope of financial products that are really tailor-made to the needs of low-income people or small businesses. So this may range from traditional group-based microcredit to housing loans and payments apps, and even to smallholder crop insurance and long-term savings accounts. Um, and all of these, I believe, should be affordable and understandable to the people that use them. Um, and these people, these products can uh, support people in absorbing risks and manage their lives optimally. Uh, and so personally, for me, microfinance is not just about money. Uh, it has an important educational um, as well as a, a, a personal growth component. And it's really meant to empower people. Nice. And what kind of amounts are we talking about when we talk about, you know, small amounts to set up people's businesses and help them create livelihoods? Developing countries, I think these amounts are uh, where I see microfinance as really having a lot of benefit is uh, from 500 to a few thousand uh, euros at an individual level. So that being quite different from the Netherlands where I'm from, that's you also have microfinance that goes up to 40 or 50,000 euros for people setting up businesses 
Yes, I remember you talking about um, a company called Q Credits that is a very niche role in the Netherlands for for servicing that kind of market. And it is important also here to have access to that kind of finance because a lot of SMEs don't, right? Definitely. So in the context of the Netherlands, I think credits uh, has a really great role because they bridge that piece of uh, where um, entrepreneurs cannot get that kind of financing with traditional banks because they're seen as a little bit too risky and not that experienced, et cetera. And they combine that also with coaching and things like that. They have a very large network of voluntary coaches. I was a coach for them a few years. Uh, So they really work in that segment of the market that that other players are not there. So I think they really have a role to play. But for us as EcoCredit, we really focus on uh, the global south, as we call that, 33 countries that were actively supporting projects to enhance the lives of people there. So what kind of continents are we talking about that you're really focused on more? As EcoCredit, we invest in in three continents. That's Africa, uh, Latin America, and a part of Asia. Okay. And why do you think this is such an important topic? I really believe microfinance products are tools that can transform lives, not only um, to support people to come out of poverty, but also to prevent them and their families to fall back into poverty and to create some kind of security for them. So for uh, many people, access and good use of these products is the difference between having uh, a nutritious meal or having to come by with a minimal ration of rice, or it could be the difference between being able to go to the doctor, being able to afford that when you're sick or not. Um, and that is see- so important, right? I mean, even where I'm from in the United States, I see people struggling with whether they can afford going to the doctor or not. Yes, definitely. And, and also the difference between being able to afford your kids going to school or not. And it's not like microfinance is this magic formula and that it all happens overnight and everything's possible. But I see it as a journey uh, where different financial products can support people um, and, and they're the means to like a dignified and, and happy life. And, and if you have the right products at the right moment in your life to support you to save for certain things or, or get a loan or, or build a business or overcome hurdles, you're able to kind of flatten these these financial curves uh, in your Mm -hmm. life. And one of the reasons I think it's also really important is because many of the people that are receiving microfinance, you know, they otherwise are not having access to um, the financial system, right? They don't have bank accounts. Or sometimes like they have access like informal financial system, but mm-hmm. there tend to be very high interest rates. So I believe there's a benefit to being able to access this formal financial mm-hmm. uh, market, so to say. And, and indeed, many, there are still almost uh, a billion people that do not have access to financial services today. So we've come a long way in financial inclusion in, in the past 20 years, so to say, but there's still this last part to, to go. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'd like to understand a little bit more about Oiko Credit, the the beginnings, um, you know, how long have they been around? What kind of projects does Oiko support? We've talked about the geography. So if you could just tell us a little bit more, because I think it is a very interesting story. 
Sure. Um, well, it all started in 1968 at a meeting of World Council of Churches, where there were some young politically engaged church members who pulled for, let's say, um, ethical investment channel to support peace and, and solidarity because they believed just giving money away was not the way to go forward. So you could call it something like microcredit avant la lettre uh, as from the start microcredit provided credit to people that otherwise would not have access to finance. Uh, and so today we have around 520 partners and we reached 42 million people and that was 2022 um, of which 87% uh, of these are women and around 65% or a little bit more of these end clients live in rural areas. Um, and I can also give you some more numbers. We have around 1.1 billion euros invested. 76%, uh, I believe, of the portfolio is financial inclusion. And then we have a smaller amount at 17% in the agricultural sector and 6% is renewable energy. Cool. So for the agri bit, could you tell us a little bit about what you're doing? And of course, I'm going to ask about what you're doing and then some of these other areas, but... Uh... An example of, of projects we do in that agri sector is we... Um finance uh, coffee or cocoa cooperatives or some other crops there too. Uh, but we also are looking into uh, making investments into value chain platforms, for uh, example. That's something a little bit newer to if you have this total value chain in the agri-sector where you have maybe seven or eight players, uh, we want that chain to be shorter and more of the income to go to that smallholder farmer. So that's the person that's really plowing the, the ground and and if we can uplift them and, and get them out of poverty, uh, there's so much more to win. And by having that value chain more efficient and, and, and creating direct links, et cetera, we believe we can do that. Great. So um, you're improving the lives of families in, in different ways in these different sectors, right? So one is agri, um, but also I remember you talking about in renewable energy space, community infrastructure projects. Can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, so we but uh, 85% of our portfolio is loans, and a, a bulk of that is the, the traditional, I would say, uh, loan to a local microfinance institute that provides microcredit loans or offers loans to small, medium enterprises. Uh, but it could also be uh, loans for housing or school uh, fees loans. And then in that uh, renewable energy sector, we support uh, the development of, of mini grids. Um, so those are uh, off-grid solutions, so to say, where you electrify a community. Uh, and we have a new initiative around that, which I think is nice noting. Uh, we're looking at uh, creating... Um, a project where we have a mini grid developer and on the other hand we also have uh, um, an importer of appliances uh, and that we would fund the mini grid developer and also fund uh, appliances meaning that uh, individuals in that community have access to electricity to to charge mobile phones to have access to lighting etc but they have also have access to uh, appliances such as a, a, a milling machine where if they have wheat they can also mill it and then 
the produce of that, they can sell it at a higher price than if they would just sell the wheat and they can have extra income. And the additional benefit to that is if their electricity use in such a community goes up a little bit. And once this whole um, investment in that mini grid becomes uh, uh, profitable for the mini grid developer, where we see in many cases, it's quite hard for a mini grid developer if he creates that mini grid locally to create an investment that's sustainable because if the electricity uptake is very low because people cannot afford to have electricity then the, the circle isn't doesn't come yeah, so, full fledged so to say so it's nice and, that instead of a vicious circle you're creating a virtuous circle by doing yeah, this. that's the idea to bring up the economic activity in such a community and it, it was very nice this project was also a few weeks ago um, at the Glo- uh, Clinton Global Initiative mentioned by uh, our colleagues was brought there for a pledge and uh, they were in a general meeting and they had gotten this, this note saying uh, please be at the meeting we have a little surprise for you and all of a sudden on all the screens there was uh, this um, video of Bill Clinton talking about this initiative and saying how great it was that we're electrifying rural communities in Africa. Uh, So that's really giving a push to such an initiative. That's amazing because I know that even, you know, startups that are in some of the programs at Startup Bootcamp, there are days where I'm not able to have a call with them because they didn't have electricity for a day. So um, it it really is an issue. And this sounds like a, a wonderful way to yeah, have more electricity for more people so that they can have more livelihood as well. So everybody wins. Um, you met a few teams in December that yes. had microfinance-based businesses. Um, one of them was away in Colombia with a farm now pay later solution. Um, you know, if you could tell me a little bit about your thoughts on Jairo, and um, I can also give you a little bit of an update from uh, when we talked about them last. Uh, that would be great. Yeah, I was quite impressed by um, the insights of the founder, Wea, Jairo, as you mentioned, uh, because he showed real understanding of the issues the farmers had uh, in Colombia. And he combined that uh, with the increased need for traceability from Europe because of new legislation. And his solution was really well thought out uh, in the financial mechanism it was using. Uh, So I really like that and really like that he was thinking about that end client and what does that end client really need. Um, And on the other hand, I also thought what would improve a little bit is that uh, he would look at the farmer use case and the impact at the level of the individual farmer, Uh, because that's something... uh, we take very seriously at microcredit when we look at possible investments. Um, because many innovations or digitalizations uh, are interesting and they improve in fish efficiencies and things like that. But if it does not really benefit that end user, um, then we ask the question like, why are we doing this? Because it's so mm-hmm. important that you really reach, in this case, the smallholder farmer uh, and really, yeah, improve their their capacity for income. Uh, And if you don't do that, you will not eradicate poverty. You will not improve their lives and not improve food security and things like that. So I think you're going to be excited to hear that, you know, one of the um, projects I had was with the Tomato Association Cooperative, and they started to finance them in the mid 
this year, 2023, um, they already had uh, some harvest and they saw an increase in productivity of 6%. Now, you know, they need to do a few more of these to make correlations um, between the loans and the increase of productivity. But what they also saw was an increase in the willingness to buy the tomatoes from these specific farmers by one of their clients yeah. because of the value chain, um, yeah. because they want to be able to trace where um, the products are coming from that they're selling. You know, this is one of the biggest um, retail chains and uh, restaurant chains in Colombia, and they want to know where all the products are coming from. And so that traceability issue is so important. And they, you know, are now, uh, because it's completely traceable and has CO2 measurements and stuff like that, the demand for their product grew. So at the end of the day, you know, not only did productivity increase, which of course they want to um, see, can they link that to their loan, but there was more demand. And I believe that that more demand will at the end of the day, definitely impact the lives that you said more demand at a higher price point. So I guess that's also important for them. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. great to hear. It's exciting to, it will be exciting to see where Jairo will be in like a half a year, a year's time. I'm I'm sure he'll be very successful. I, I agree. That's uh, definitely one of the teams and companies that I'm following and, you know, still um, hoping to invest in. So let's see, where are... What are some of the topics where solutions like this could make the most difference? And I know you've talked about um, the European Microfinance Award. Could you say a little bit more about this as the relationship to food that we were just talking about? Yeah, so uh, one of the topics that's been highlighted in several places last year, but also in the European Microfinance Award, is food security. Uh, really meaning the access to quality food and affordable prices. Um, I was on the jury for these uh, awards and had the privilege to look into several great initiatives from very small to quite large microfinance institutions and NGOs. Um, and especially the degradation of land worldwide and the effects of climate change, I, I, I think, are uh, transforming the agricultural practices. Uh, and we need to transform them to be able to feed the population of 12 billion people in 2015. So that's why food security is a very important topic. Um, uh, and improving value chain efficiencies, as well as uh, financing this transition to regenerative agriculture, to improve soil quality and, and also adoption of certain ag tech solutions will all contribute to the planet's food security and the planet's health, so to say. Uh, um, yeah, and I believe, especially in Africa, there is enormous potential uh, as economic Output is very low per hectare there, and they have a very large young population that's eager to learn um, and are now connected to all kinds of digital financial services and digital tools. And it's quite it's a quite established market in, in that sense in many countries. Um, yeah, for that to happen, we need many ambitious entrepreneurs and, and visionaries like we see in, in your cohorts in the Startup Bootcamp. Thank you for that. Um, uh, there were some... Uh, projects you talked about in the past, like carbon finance um, that, you know, support sequestering carbon and nature-based solutions like planting trees or techniques like this. 
could you say a little bit about um, one of the projects that you have? I, I don't know if it's called Acorn, um, the CO2 platform. Uh, definitely. Uh, I, I believe carbon sequestration and carbon finance is a topic that will, will dominate the next decade. Uh, uh, so the question for me is how can we create solutions that improve the climate and and uh, and benefit low-income people directly. And one of the projects OICO is working on with Rabobank uh, through their ACORN uh, CO2 credits platform. Uh, so that's a platform where you can trade CO2 credits. Um, I can allude a little bit more on carbon markets. So there's a, uh, the voluntary carbon market where companies that want to offset their CO2 emissions can buy CO2 credits. And these credits go to projects in different places in the world to uh, where the idea is that in developing countries if they do projects that sequester um, carbon credit that they can get monetary uh, uh, compensation for that. So this uh, project we're doing with Rabobank is uh, around empowering smallholder farmers to transition to climate smart and carbon capturing agroforestry, uh, which I think is super exciting and a challenging topic. So agroforestry is a way of doing agriculture that you combine it with planting trees so that the tree itself will sequester CO2 from the air and bring that into the soil uh, and then the soil quality can go up and that around that you have your, you grow food um, and you combine uh, growing food that will have higher outputs because the soil quality being better but also saving land etc and, and I also see that like planting trees is a great way to capture CO2 but we don't have enough land to just create just forests so if you can mm -hmm. combine having these forests with agricultural practices that in the end the smallholder farmers can benefit from having trees there also protecting them from climate uh, impact such as storms, rainfall, etc. Because with trees and produce yes. on the ground, you'll be able to absorb large amounts water. of water better. And also in dry periods, you're, you're, you can absorb shocks better in that way than just having a, a monoculture uh, type yes. of agriculture. And I think it's super uh, interesting and nice and of course these all these products are still at quite of their in their beginnings so we'll have to see what the real impact will be in 20 or 30 years time but um i think it's great we're able to to work on these kind of projects with other partners that also see this as an important uh, way of moving forward it's very exciting and definitely a wonderful way to benefit the planet benefit these farmers giving them additional income but also because like you said, the soil is improved. They're able to produce more, right? They, they can harvest more. So the, how many smallholder farmers are there out there? Like, are, is, are the percentages more smallholder farmers than large farmers? There are much more smallholder farmers than large farmers. I don't have the exact numbers. Mm -hmm. And it's also per uh, country or per uh, where you 
set the boundary when is it smallholder and when not is quite different because like in Latin America you have very large farms so a smallholder would already be I think a farmer having 20 uh, hectares well in, in Africa context yes. you're already talking about a smallholder uh, below a few hectares so yeah. there are regional differences there too but I think it's well on the top of my head 80% of farmers are smallholder farmers also in India wow. you have many smallholder farmers that's a lot. So what countries do you see these, you know, or geographies the most promising for some of the carbon um, or agroforestry, what, is, what was it, agroforestry that you just talked yeah. Yes, well, I think there's a, a, a lot of potential in Africa. Uh, as I said before, the the agricultural output per hectare is a lot lower in Africa than in Latin America or Europe or, or like U.S. is 40 times that or something like that. Uh, so I think the potential there is very large. And also because the impact of climate change, I think, is hitting much harder in, in these regions than uh, in other regions like, like Europe, if we look at droughts and floods and things like that. So I think there's a lot of potential there too. But also in Latin America, like replanting parts of the Amazon is also very important. And also with the larger corporates there uh, that do coffee and cocoa, if you can get to this regenerative arch- uh, agriculture working in a, in a different way, I think we can have like a win-win situation, like the planet benefiting, these, these farmers benefiting, creating food security. Wonderful. So, I mean, this is already very exciting. Um, I don't know if there are any other projects that, that you have that you uh, would like to highlight that you think are exciting too. So in um, maybe a, a more traditional sense of microfinance, I also see very exciting developments uh, around creating hyper-local and very personalized microcredit offerings uh, through all kinds of fintechs. Uh, and as an example, one of our partners in India is Avanti Finance, um, and they've built a, a very flexible infrastructure, which they call Digital Spine, uh, and it connects clients needs to diverse pools uh, of capital from mm-hmm. financial partners in a quite unique way. So they really focus on, on the livelihoods of the people within their communities that they're financing. Um, and then through a, a, a local partner network they have, uh, they can offer this on-the-ground uh, assistance that's very needed for those who have never had access to finance before or, or who do not have a credit history, etc. And then through something like they call a trust score that's more based on community members and, and other types of data showing that you're trustworthy than just a, a credit score. Uh, and also in their uh, digital infrastructure, they have like these layered APIs and very sophisticated modeling, uh, uh, all supporting the goal of providing uh access uh, to affordable uh, and the right financial products to improve the lives of these people there. And I think that's a very exciting development that we're able to uh, create loans that are really tailored to what somebody needs and not have this generic loan and trying to push it to millions of people at the same time. I, I totally agree, but also the affordable aspect of that, because in, a lot of people don't know that in some of these regions, the 
interest rate for a loan is just so outrageous that people can almost never repay it, right? So if they get the access at affordable prices, prices that they can actually then, you know, repay and they're able to um, make a better livelihood and they don't go into a vicious cycle like we've seen in the past. I think that that is just yeah, so definitely too. that that's so important in microfinance that you you look at these interest rates and also look at the the affordability for people and also not push loans to people that cannot afford them because then you're pushing them into a situation that's worse than yeah. what it has been before and and that's important. Yeah, yeah, and nobody... they also understand what they're signing up for. Uh, yes. Yeah. That, and that impacts the educational part that you've talked about in the past. Yeah. Um, one thing that when we were talking about that that project um, with the actual milling, you know, the the one that Bill Clinton had um, really uh, announced, you had mentioned that if you give people more access to things, even like cool storage. That, that also enables them to um, keep a harvest longer and make sure that the, they don't have problems related to once they've harvested and have to transport it, that if there would be, you know, a torrential rain, that then they can't do anything with it, right? This enables them to continue Definitely. to have a livelihood. So when we look at these productive use of energy appliances, that could be many things uh, having a role within the the value chain in agribusinesses. So uh, if, if, or if you're uh, a fisher and you fish once a week, then if you have a fridge or a freezer, you can put your fish into the freezer, you can freeze it. And then you can all of a sudden sell every day of the week or even keep something for two or three weeks uh, and then be able to sell it off to restaurants or, or if, further up in the value chain. So it's really also to do with the, the what we call post-harvest losses mm-hmm. uh, that many times people have a, a harvest, but because of large rainfalls or or other things, or that they can only transport it three or four months after that it's been harvested uh, and things brought away. There's so much to win, I believe, in that space too. Uh, and that could be based on, on like appliances where you or mill something, or upgrade it. But it can also just be storage space, mm-hmm. uh, good transportation, and all these kind of things. So if we want to get to food security, I, I believe this is also a space where we want to see losses going down uh, and benefiting the, the producers of these goods, uh, like the farmers, uh, because they'll be able to sell more of their produce. And then they'll have be able to smooth out their income, like you mentioned in the yes, past. Yes, that's and- also an important thing. Like uh, many people, they like if you grow something on the land, you'll only be able to get uh, uh, sell it at the moment you get it out of the ground and find a mm-hmm. buyer for that. But if you can smoothen uh, these periods of when you can sell, or also sometimes with there, there's another company I was talking to a few weeks ago, uh, we're looking into them. They provide irrigation as a service um, and also finance inputs. And in that way, you could be start growing 
different food from what all the people around you were selling. Uh, but you could also go against the, the normal rhythm of mm-hmm. planting and harvesting because you don't have to wait for rain to come, but you can irrigate at the moment you would like to. And especially in countries that don't have very uh, big difference between summer and winter, uh, mm-hmm. where the climate is kind of stable, then you can kind of choose when you do these cycles and then you can smoothen out uh, uh, income. And, and that's and then, also very helpful for many people. And and not just the farmers, because as prices become more stable, then again, more people can afford them. Yeah, you get more stable or you'll get uh, higher prices for your produce because you're selling your produce mm-hmm. at a moment that it's not so available in the local markets. Yeah. Uh, so there are many too. benefits to that. Yeah. Absolutely. Is there anything that we haven't covered yet that you still think, um, you know, in terms of fintech for good, um, that is important to to know around microfinancing or the things that Oiko Credit is doing. Um, no, I felt like we covered no, it all, but I, I just think we've covered most of it. Yeah, and maybe still good to say that as Oiko Credit, we're really focusing on. Uh, communities and in that way also looking at what else can we do to improve these communities so that's not only looking at uh, entrepreneurs and want to set up a business and want traditional microfinance but it's also looking at how can we uh, support creating local schools there so we have this initiative with a partner that's really knowledgeable and how do you set up like private schools uh, at affordable prices in these communities and then we provide if we, if there's a group of teachers that wants to that we provide them with financing um, and then they start building uh, the school and they enroll uh, students and then we also finance a local uh, financial institution uh, which then can provide educational loans for for parents to have their kids go to school there and that a lot of the work I see happening all over the world is really around finding the right partners that are specialists at a certain part um, of what is needed to to make something work um, and I guess that's also really exciting because everybody can have their own, play their own role and their own part and we're really working together to make things work that's wonderful I, I find that very exciting and um, it also reminds me of some things that my brother-in-law is doing in Tanzania with you know quaking there and having schools for the people that are working the farms there. So um, it's close to home. I was inspired when I first met you at Startup Bootcamp and we were talking about different things and continue to be so, so I would love to keep up the conversation and keep learning about this area. Thank you. Yes, well, thank you. It's, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. And it's been a pleasure talking to you before too, because um, it's very nice the work you're doing with all these young entrepreneurs that have these aspiring ideas and want to bring them forward. And you're really supporting what they're doing. So uh, definitely let's keep connected and see how we can support uh, these young, uh, enthusiastic entrepreneurs in, in building their dreams and, and changing the world for the better. We'll absolutely do that. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoke Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week.
on Breaking Banks Europe.